Hey, my name's Emma. Hey, my name's Maddie. And you're listening to The Pilot's Pandemic. Avinola is a small batch gourmet granola that's made with grain and gluten-free ingredients. It's made from ancient lupini beans, which are filled with fiber and tons of plant protein. It's less than one gram of sugar and only 95 calories per serving. It's a zero guilt snack that checks all the boxes and loads of fiber to keep you feeling full. So Emma, what's your favorite part of Avinola? Well, obviously y'all already know I love the chocolate, but the coconut almond vanilla is also very, very good. Um, Besides just eating it straight out of the bag because it's that delicious, I love to make like a Greek yogurt bowl, bunch of avinola, honey, berries, macadamia nuts, maybe some pecans. I don't know, whatever my little heart is feeling. But that is my favorite way to enjoy avinola. And I especially love this company and this brand because A, it's a small business and B, it is women owned and created. We absolutely love Maggie. And if you haven't already, go back and listen to her episode. But you guys can use discount code PILOTSPANDEMIC for 15% off your order of Avinola. So code PILOTSPANDEMIC. Hey guys, before we get into this week's episode, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a safety advisory This is a trigger warning. Some of the language or content used in this week's episode may be found as disturbing or harmful to one's self, aka triggering. Be advised and please proceed with caution. Hey y'all, welcome back to this week's episode of the Pilots Pandemic Podcast. You're here with your host, Emma, and our lovely co-host, Maddie. What's up, guys? And today we are joined by our guest, Colin Hughes. Hello, Colin Hughes, Las Vegas, Nevada, former bull rider, rodeo announcer. What else have I done? Oh, yeah. Uh, Airline pilot and jack of all trades. And most best thing, though, is a proud grandfather of some beautiful grandchildren. Awesome. I am... I. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I, I, I'm really, really excited to talk to you today, Colin, because I am a horse girl through and through, also a <laughs> pilot, um, but love anything that is rodeo. You know what I mean? I love it. I love it. I love the aesthetic. I love the vibe. Yellowstone has been just my um, my addiction recently, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I am all about some Wild West. So Just before we get in today, I kind of wanted to talk to you about your story behind, you kind of go by the Prozac pilot and you've titled yourself that. I, I did years ago. I haven't been, have been blogging on that for some time now, but, um, but just to share with you how, I don't know if you want to call it taboo topic or you know, just a topic that doesn't want to be talked about in the world of aviation, you know, and that's depression. Even today, when somebody mentions the Prozac pilot blog, I, I still feel 
awkward. You which shudder I should a little not, bit. <laughs> which I shouldn't, but I still do. That's how that's how uncomfortable it is to talk about it th uh, these days. But it it came about in 2008. I was flying charter, grounded myself to go on medications. My wife is a social worker. So she and I talked and I went on medications and just self-grounded myself. When I was on the ground, my wife says out of boredom, I did this. <laughs> I created a YouTube video where I put on a uniform, put a paper bag over my head and say, I am the Prozac pilot. And then go on about saying how, you know, pilots on depression and the challenges that are faced there. That's, that's how all that started. And then CNN picked me up, Inside Edition picked me up. And yeah, that's the story on that. So you went viral is what all the youth say these days. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I did. It didn't go as viral as I thought it would go. So, but uh, yeah, it, it, it started, it picked up after that. Started a little bit of a movement. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, re, when I went back and looked at that video, because I had actually never seen it before, Colin, um, okay. and how we got hooked up is through our mutual friend, Kristen, who told me, oh, yeah, you should watch his YouTube video. And I, when I looked at the date, I was like, wow, this is like 12 years ago. Yeah. Um, you're still dealing with the stigma today. Um, so I was kind of wondering when you made that or back in like the 90s and early 2000s, what was the mental health stigma like? Like how much has it changed from when you were an airline pilot to now? Well, when I, uh, when I was working on my instrument writing, I remember talking with my instrument instructor. It was a small, small school. The owner was my instructor. And he and I were talking about just stuff in general. And that topic came up about, you know, going to see a, a therapist. He says, man, if you do that, you better go into a different state, use a different name because you'll never fly again. And mm -hmm. people have that stigma, but it's the only thing that you really need to worry about back then is if you went on any kind of medications whatsoever. Yeah, that, that was going to ground you. But there's nothing that says you cannot go to a therapist. And that's what today, it just, I don't understand. Uh, it just, it, it drives me crazy now. Even today, yeah, four medications are approved, but that comes with a lot of hassles. But as far as seeing a therapist, pilots are people too, for crying out loud. I think, uh, recently the FAA has kind of pushed like spreading awareness about mental health in aviation um, and I think in large part due to Gen Z population like pushing for mental health and it being kind of a common topic to talk about during the pandemic and post-pandemic um, but I think even now many are afraid to disclose they're them seeking help to get therapy because if you say you've gotten therapy and the FAA has really skirted around this issue but what they've kind of said is well if you get therapy you do have to disclose and then we do need to do like a deeper dive into your medical records and I think that's what the scary part is is that is like what will they uncover to pull my medical and not give me a 
a clear or do I have to go through the special issuance process with which then costs thousands and thousands of dollars. I think that's kind of what's in the back of people's minds when they're thinking yeah. about should I seek therapy or not? Yeah, I'm actually waiting for a call back from Alpa Aeromedical, you know, Airline Pilot Association, which, you know, I was an Alpa member. And when I was when I was active on the seniority list at my airline. And so now as a retirement, you know, I still can, you know, have access to that. And I was going to ask just something very specific about that. Is going to a therapist something that is reportable that you must report on your medical or not? Because if, if you think of it, it's not actually medical treatment. Yeah. Um, that was kind of like the, what I've tr been trying to like tease out of the FA in all of the calls that I've been on, um, when they're just like talking to the public, like general aviation pilots, but in my, in what I've seen and what I can pull from what they've said, they will do a deeper dive into your medical records. If you say you've thought, um, sought therapy, but not if you've gotten, um, I think it's marriage. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. If you go to therapy, yeah. even if it's proactive, they, a lot of AME says, don't, don't even disclose that you've gone to therapy if it's just for preventative care. Right. Which to me, that's just absolutely crazy because you look at all the pilots out there flying right now, they're people, they have issues everybody has something that they need to deal with and i i think anyone in the world could could improve by therapy whether you, you know whether you have you know depression or anxiety or or nothing at all it's you know a completely healthy person can go to a therapist and improve themselves we all have something in our lives we deal with yeah. things happen that we you know can't foresee i think northrup was when she was on the air up there podcast i can't remember what the exact quote was but she basically listed off like things that they encourage which were like talking to your pastor or a spiritual like guide counseling this that and the other she basically this whole list but would not say like therapy, like to get counseling or therapy from a medical professional. Well, now therapy and counseling really does not come from a medical professional. My wife is a social worker. She's a licensed clinical social worker. And that's what she does is she, she's a therapist. That's what she does all the time is just talking to people about you know, improving their lives or whatever issues they may have. And she is not a medical professional. But now if you go out and talk about medications, now you're talking to a doctor. Now you're talking to a medical professional. So what I want to find out, and as soon as I talk to Alpha Aeromedical, I'll let you guys know what the answer is that, that he gives me. It will be interesting to see what they say or if they kind of skirt around the issue because that's kind of been the problem. I've even contacted Alpa, the AMAS, um, and they, 
actually just got back to me with like a lawyer's like written email and we're like we can't do anything about this and there is the pilot peer support program and that's as far as they'll go um and I think even with therapy like they're very much kind of touchy about it like well you do have to disclose and if you disclose the FAA is going to dig into your file that's typically the way that it goes right but you you have you ever been an ALPA member no but my husband is Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was going to try that. And I've talked to, uh, I always forget his name, their main doctor there. I've talked to him about some other issues when I had cancer and stuff. And he's, he's for me, he's, he's been really easy to talk to. So I'll give it a try and just see what he might say. I'm sure you'll be like a little more proper. I'm such a bulldog when I talk to these people because I feel like they have their own best interests in mind. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but this doctor, I, you know, I talked to the doctor himself, so he's, uh, he'll shoot me straight. I'm pretty sure I'm hoping I'm pretty sure. Anyway, I'll be, I'm curious to see what his answer would be and definitely like, definitely share that with us, but kind of steering back to some questions that we want to ask you. Um, so I know you're retired now, but if we can rewind back the time a little bit to when you were an airline pilot flying for Mesa. Um, Mesa. 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 Yeah. I knew I was going to mess that up. I was like, oh, for some reason, <laughs> I feel like it's not as easy as that. <laughs> I, I always tell people, you know, when I'm retired airline pilots, say, where from? Who from? Because you know, general public hasn't heard of Mesa Airlines. So I'll just say, uh, United because you know I flew under the colors of United Express. So I just take makes it so much easier to explain to someone outside of the, the industry. Yeah. It's like trying to explain Piedmont and all of that to exactly who yeah. don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. My dad was dad started with Piedmont and then it was US Airways American. So having it to explain that to people is tricky because uh -huh. they always ask, they're like, well, wait, if Piedmont isn't a thing anymore, why are there still Piedmont planes? And I'm like, okay, <laughs> it's, it's a tricky one to try and explain. I uh, know it. But so, like I said, rewinding the clock a little bit, I kind of wanted to ask you about just some of your life stressors at that moment in time that might have weighed on you, kids, divorce, family members passing, pilot things, et cetera. Well, when I was when I was out on the line, the toughest thing to me was, uh, was schedule. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you work three, maybe four, sometimes five flights a day and you're crossing time zones. I mean, there were times where day four, I'd wake up on the East coast at four o'clock in the morning, meaning it was one o'clock at home. And I'd work uh, my last flight that day. You know, my last flight of a four-day trip may have just been one leg back to Houston because that's how I bid it. And I'd get done in Houston early in the morning, catch catch first flight home, and I'm home in in uh, Vegas by ten o'clock in my in the morning. And my wife's, "Oh, honey, you're home." I'm going to bed. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it'd take me two days to recover. And then day three, when I'm up and yeah, okay, let's have some fun. Hey, guess what? I got to go catch a ride to go back to, to work because my showtime is six o'clock tomorrow morning. And that was the tough part for me. And when I was home, 
you know, feeling so drained, my wife would be, why isn't he helping around the house? He sees me putting these dishes in here. Why doesn't he just get up and help? I've been asking him to put that box away for six months. Why doesn't he do it? You know, the, the, that, that was the true stressor for me. But the, the work itself, uh, living a dream. Yeah. I can imagine that's an office with the best feel. Oh. To quote Tim Allen, ah, 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 ah. Oh yeah. So yeah, it's it's just amazing. Absolutely it, amazing. When you were saying all of those things, I was really resonating because that's how it is. Uh, my husband's on reserve right now. He's a brand new captain. And it's kind of the same deal, like because he's a commuter too. So he's got the the two-hour commute through Seattle traffic, and then he's gotta go and then work um either, you know, three or four day trip or Right now, he's been just getting day trips, so he's got to go two hours down, two hours back in the same day, and also fly for six to eight hours. So, yeah, you can imagine how draining that is. And when he used to work regional for uh, smaller, I can't say the company he worked for, but the regional he worked for, it was the same thing: five legs a day. And he was a commuter at that time, and he was commuting from Oregon, so it was even worse. But yeah, I have the same thing where I'm like, why is he so tired? And I understand because <laughs> I work in the airline industry, but it is taxing because, you know, like those relationship things, you don't always think like you want to think of the other person, but then it's like, well, as a pilot, like and being married to a pilot, it's hard not to kind of give more because they're gone. Um, and I've had this conversation with my husband. It's like, your job really is something that we have to plan our whole life around. And it kind yep. of takes your stage over everything else. Um, and I think that's something that when you get into this industry as a pilot, you don't think about how much it's going to affect not only your life, but everybody else's life around you. Oh, my wife actually told me a couple of times is that she was so tired of planning our lives around my schedule <laughs> especially you know when it varies month to month yeah you know you mm -hmm. bid it and you just you don't know what you're going to get in the bid until until it comes out and so and so, we can't even plan a month and ahead because of that <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> honey I'm, i don't know what to tell you but vacations <laughs> you know we we bid one one time a year so yeah, that yeah. worked out pretty good to where we knew when my vacation time was and she can go in and put in time for her vacations anytime she wanted to and, and work that around mine. And that worked out good. Yeah. It's like a, it's a whole thing because even like, and then you have to realize too, like your family, if they live close, they also like try to pull time and your and then your partner's like, what the hell? Like I haven't seen you for four or five days and now your family wants to see you. It's just like this whole thing where I'm like, what did I sign myself up for? Like I should have pilot too, but like he wasn't an airline pilot, but it's just like a whole thing. So I've been in it for 10 years now and I feel like still I struggle some days. It, it can be difficult for sure. Right. I oh, yeah. you, I, oh, go for it. Yeah. It, it's, I know it's gotta be tough on, on the family at home so you know, i've got lots of buddies you know we, we talk about this a lot 
And I remember when my dad would come back from work, it was always like this. We knew like, all right, this is quiet hours and we're all going to have to be super, super patient, (laughs) but dad is sleeping. So shut up, go to your rooms and wait. But he played it out, right? Like he would, this is why I'm spoiled. My dad used to bring us something literally every single trip and we all would you know we obviously daddy's home daddy's home but we also knew that we were going to get some kind of little trinket from wherever he went and so he would just stack you know whatever he brought us up on the counter and we knew to always like check there first and we'd all get so excited he'd either be like a, a kinder egg or like you know for a while kinder eggs were illegal in america my dad would smuggle them a essentially back from Rio and we would get so excited whatever toy was inside that would keep us entertained until he was finally up and like ready to hang out with us <laughs> that's fun yeah sometimes it was like clogs like one time he brought us wooden clogs from Amsterdam I don't really think that worked out in his favor because of course we all put them on and we had hardwood floors those two don't <laughs> mix if you're trying to get good sleep No, they don't. I wouldn't imagine. I hope I never find out. <laughs> I don't even. But yeah, it's. <laughs> Come again, Maddie. I said, I don't even know if I could put my foot in a in a wooden clog. I've seen them because I've been to Amsterdam, but I'm like, dude, I don't even know if that would be comfortable. They, um, the ones that he brought us, obviously we were little at the time, so our feet fit in them, but I mean, now I, I could never, they were very uncomfortable too. I will say that, but you know, we <laughs> loved them. They were painted all cool. And like, um, we just, we were absolutely obsessed. <laughs> I love that. It's a, it's a good way to like, you know, you're like, oh, well, I got to go to bed. So let's like keep the kids quiet with like a gift. Um, yeah. And <laughs> that's what he does do. Like he'll bring me usually okay so the one thing that I always want if he goes through Chicago is Garrett's popcorn what's Does that anyone... I love popcorn that's my favorite um, snack but I need to hear about it, this in Chicago it's like iconic popcorn like if I meet anyone from that area and I talk about Garrett's popcorn they're like yes I know but it's just like the best popcorn they have like a cheese covered popcorn and it's like so cheesy it turns your fingers orange like Cheetos um, and then they have the caramel covered and butter. You can like mix it all together. But if you go through O'Hare, you can, you'll be able to find it. They have a Garrett's popcorn in that um, airport. But yeah, I mean, parting gifts are great. Or when they come home, it, it, it does help, I will say. Um, but yeah, Colin, so I know like the schedule is such a struggle and I, I still feel like today that's what all the pilots are fighting for um, in their no- negotiating contracts. It's always about the schedule um, because I feel like they just overly utilize pilots and they really don't care about fatigue, obviously. Um, right. But what I was thinking about when you were talking about being the Prozac pilot and taking medication and grounding yourself was I think our audience may be wondering, like, how did you dodge the special issuance process and still maintain flying as an airline pilot? Because most people, if they do go and take medication, feel obviously like they need to disclose that. And then they typically, I've, you're the only person who I've ever heard who was able to take medication without going through the special issuance process. So kind of explain how that all went about. 
Okay, so I grounded myself when it came time to renew my medical. I just did not renew my medical. That mm. way it wasn't on record that I was on, you know, whatever type of medication I was on. And then when the FAA came out with the, the rule stating that four types of medications were allowed, I dug into it deeper and I thought, you know, what, what and how am I going to go about it? And there's another way that you can do, and that is 90 days off the medication without problems and a, something written from your physician about that you uh, no longer need medications and that you're, that you're well now. And then you're good to go. Even the examiner can sign off on it. Doesn't have to be sent in to the FAA for any kind of approval. They could flag it. And so all I had to do was check that box that nobody wants to check. Have you ever suffered from depression? And I put yes to tell the truth. I wasn't on antidepressants at that time, but my doctor stated he's been on antidepressants. This is the reason for the antidepressants. And here's why he no longer needs the antidepressants. Hmm. Hmm. It's so interesting because I'm like, I feel like now it's a bit different. Because when was that? Was that back in the 80s, 90s? Oh, no, 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 no. It was the FAA came out with, uh, what was it, like 2011, 2011 is when the ruling oh. changed on using antidepressants. And that's, that's when I got my medical back. So how long were you without your medical? Uh, it's about three years. Okay. So, yeah, um, I think now, I mean, you only have to wait two years for a special issuance. It's just the, I mean, I always talk about this in touch touch on this it's it's not only that they're afraid of losing their medical for that long it's more like the cost of it and then the time yeah. it takes to get all those testing requirements that they they push on all the aviators with any mental health struggles um and i think that's very daunting because you're the what ifs start to come into play like what if i don't pass this test what if it's worse or what if they dig into my medical um, history and they find something else because that also happens where they make you take other tests that are unrelated to your mental health. Um, so I think that also comes into play these days with pilots thinking, do I disclose or do I not? Do I not? Um, it, it's, it's strictly fear in their own heads. Yeah. It, it's it, 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 either take care of your health or you could die. It's truly that simple. Depression is a physical ailment. There's nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, but I think that they are taking care of it. They're just not disclosing. Like, it's not that they're not wanting to seek care or help. They're just not saying that they're doing it. Well, then they're lying. And if anything comes up, they're going to be far worse off if they live through it. If anything comes up, let's say, let's say they go to an airline and something comes out to be pilot error, you don't think the FAA is going to dig into that and say, oh, you lied. Guess what? Now we're not, we're not only going to, we're not only going to lose your life, 
take your license away from you, your certificate away from you. We're going to process, pro, we're going to prosecute you in a court of law. Yeah, I think that's also, they think they weigh that as well. But most of the time, everything they do is under the table. So there's no way to track it. Well, it's, there's ways to find out. It's, uh, you know, somebody can say, yeah, I'm hiding it. But number one, to me, integrity, integrity is so important to me. And if you're doing something under the table, it's, it's a lie of omission. And it'll come back to bite you. I mean, but I'm the kind of guy that uh, when I was flying charter and somebody tipped me a hundred, two hundred dollars cash, you know, the IRS isn't going to find out about that, but I'm reporting it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pay taxes on it. Otherwise, to me, it's like, no, nah, I'm not going to lie to the IRS. Yeah. <laughs> <It's>, I <laughs> both sides of the story because i understand like integrity and telling the truth but i also think with fa they're so they do say we do this all by a case-by-case basis but oftentimes it's the way that they rule things it, it's hard to trust them it's hard to trust a government body who doesn't it doesn't seem that they're invested in the well-being of their pilots it's more about public perception these days yeah well to me my opinion on the faa they're a regulating body they have mm. the they have the regulations that that need to be enforced that's their job my job is to take care of myself so even when i was flying for an airline I was not a pilot. That is simply something that I did. I think that I love that about you and that you've said that um, because we, Emma and I have talked about this as well, a lot on the podcast saying like, try to not make your identity into being a pilot, which is what many people do. Um, and, and it's understandable. I mean, that's a lot of your life. And we were just saying how even your loved ones kind of have to change their whole lifestyle around for the pilot that they're married to. Um, so how come you have that outlook? Like, how did you come to like, not identify as a pilot and kind of remove yourself from just that? When I first went on antidepressants, when I grounded myself, I I was devastated. I thought, oh man, I'm not a pilot anymore. What am I? And my wonderful wife and all of her wisdom says, honey, that's just something you do. You're a child of God. You're a husband. You're this, you're that. You're all these things. But being a pilot is just something you do. Well, your your wife is a very wise woman. <laughs> yes, I actually yes. had to have a very similar conversation with my husband when um, COVID came around because he was deathly afraid he was going to get furloughed, and he had never been furloughed, and he was and obviously he's the breadwinner, so he was freaking out like how and that's typical for men too is like how am I going to take care of my family if I'm not a pilot like 
you just don't get the same type of benefits and pay yeah. as a pilot. And also it's a very narrow work environment. So it's not like you have crossover into another industry. Uh-huh. Um, it's not like a degree where you can take it to multiple places and be like, yeah, I do this, that, and the other. Um, as a pilot, you fly planes. <laughs> so I was just a, about a, to yeah. point that out, the fact that it doesn't, you can't, you know, it sucks when you devote your entire life. Sorry to cut you off, Maddie, but it, that's a conversation I had with my dad a lot. Like, all, he he only knew being a pilot, both of my uncle and my dad, they never went to school. So it was like, oh crap, that oh shit moment, literally like, what am I going to do? I've devoted 25 years of my life to this and it means nothing in the real world. Yeah. And in like a downturn, which every pilot will face because there typically is like a downturn furlough season every 10 years, every decade. And so that's something that every pilot is going to have to face and come to terms with is who am I if I am not flying? And on your so many other things. And that's exact conversation I had with my husband. I was like, you know, you are a very talented person who can do so many other things. Just fly a plane. I understand like this is what you've been doing since you were 12. I mean, he's been flying for 20 years now. Um, but I'm like, you can div- diversify yourself. Like, this is not the only thing that you're good at. Well, let, let me tell you a story about one of my best friends. He and I were sim partners in, uh, my new hire class at Mesa. And we've just, you know, become like brothers and he's going to love it. If he hears this Bobby Bayani, <laughs> he is just, he's from Iran originally. And when he was, I think he left Iran when he was about eight years old. His father was a high ranking general in the military in Iran. And this is when the Ayatollah came in, was taking over. And the new, the new leader was executing people who he thought was against him in the streets, executing them right in front of right in front of people and his father's bobby's bobby's father his aides kept telling us you need to get out of here you need to leave the country and they lived in a they lived in a very nice house had maids and that just the the life of luxury you know housekeeper everything you know, live like millionaires. And one night his dad came home and they told the, the helps is that they were going to go visit grandma overnight and asked his family to pack an overnight bag and says, okay, we're off to grandma's. And he had a friend waiting for him at the airport with a government C-130 where they flew him or they flew out of Iran and went to Turkey to seek asylum. They came to the United States. Now here is this man who was a general and very educated man, a pilot, you know, a a man of great power, but he took a job as a janitor at a Holiday Inn to support his family. That's humility. 
Yeah, it's a powerful story. And I think that definitely it, it can feel like a, a gut punch, like stepping down from being, because like an airline pilot, even today, when you walk through an airport or anywhere in your uniform, or you tell people you're a pilot, the reaction Colin, is always, oh my God, you're a pilot? Like, or, you know, every all eyes are on you. So it can be very difficult to change. And yes, it does take a lot of humility and humbleness to change career paths. Oh yeah, um, it, it does. You know, and, and I've done things in my life, you know, it was, you know, center stage too. I, I rode bulls for 18 years with much of that in the professional ranks competing against some of the legends in the sport of rodeo. Have you ever seen the movie eight seconds? Yes. I told Lane, you, I really like, I love bull riding. <laughs> Lane, Lane was a friend of mine. Okay. And at Cheyenne, the year that he died, you know, it's two go rounds. We call them the long go rounds or, and then the short go round of this championship go round on the final day, top 15 go into the final day in the championship go round. And then there's probably like 300 and some bull riders competing at Cheyenne. And we have two go rounds. Lane and I had our bulls, our long go bulls the same days that year at Cheyenne, Tuesday and Thursday. And when we went into the, uh, into the dressing room, a Justin healer wagon, they call it a sports medicine trailer. We use it to change our clothes, got in a conversation in my age of, I think I was like 33 at the time come out. And, I, and this other friend was, was talking about a lady that was in her thirties. And I says, man, I'm in my thirties. And she goes, but she's so old. Lane looked at me and he got that big old smile on his face. My he called me goose as my nickname. Then he says, goose, <laughs> you're just an old fart, ain't you? I almost hit him. <laughs> but now the story would have been better if I would have hit him probably. <laughs> I got to ask you, Colin, and I mean, forgive me if this is completely insensitive, but I know that being a bull rider, you, you, are probably enduring a lot of like physical trauma from that. It, I mean, you could be staying on though. I know it's gotta be rough, but kind of what I was wondering is, do you ever think that there may be like a correlation between, you know, your mental health and everything? Like had, did you ever have any injuries? Concussions? Not, no, uh, no. I, I, I've never had any concussions from it. So that's good. So, that's yeah. Good. I, I was lucky from that. Glad to hear it. I, I just, I ask because I know, you know, what is it, CTE with football players and stuff like PBE. that? I think it's TBI. You know, I mean, thank yeah. you. I can't remember. There's so many yep. acronyms, but traumatic always, brain injury. Yeah. I always wonder kind of the, the correlation between the both, but I think it's really interesting that you did that for 18 years. You must be, you're, you like adrenaline, which seems to be like a common theme with a lot of pilots. <laughs> yeah. It's, but I wasn't a bull rider. That was just something I did. But back then, yeah, I'm a bull rider. Yeah. You know why? You know why I got under riding bulls? I was just about to ask why. Chicks dig bull riders. They do. <laughs> they do. <laughs> 
I'm glad I don't live out West because I would be a buckle bunny for sure. Um, <laughs> but let's not go there. <laughs> oh, but yeah, can uh, we swing it back around to mental health? Yes, yes, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I do okay. have, I, ha I have another question for you. Sure. Um, sorry to get off topic. Oh, I, you're, I, you're fine, fine. Um, so kind of wanted to ask you, you know, if you were talking to a pilot, uh, airline pilot, student pilot, et cetera, if they were undergoing some kind of mental health struggle, anxiety, depression, would you recommend them going down the special issuance process? And I feel your answer is going to be yes, but just asking out of curiosity, would you recommend something else or how would you go about that? First off, I'd tell them, let's not, let's not put flying in the picture. Don't even think about flying at this point. Think about yourself. What do you have to do to be healthy? If you have to go to, to talk to a, a therapist, if you have to go to medical personnel and get medications, I don't care. You do it. It could mean your life. I mean, look at, look at John, the young man at, at University of North, North Dakota. I mean, it literally could end your life if you do not get help. What's more important, staying alive or flying that airplane? Yeah, staying alive always. That's what I always say. You got to value yourself and your life more than everything else. But, you know, in light of mental health, I understand that that can be extremely hard for somebody who is dealing with a, a really, really bad form of depression or and or having suicidal ideation. Yeah, and you don't know. Yeah. You, you just don't know. June 10th, 2022, my world came crashing down around me when my beautiful 15 year old granddaughter ended her life <laughs> the pain that that leaves behind is it's undescribable i i was yelling and screaming most of the day when i found out and so what I want to tell these young men and women, if they ever ask me a question like that is, you can be putting your family through so much pain in the future and you don't know. It is life and death. It truly is life and death if you do not go get help. Yeah, I, um, I think it's hard for those who are struggling to really think about other people because they're it's just like they're so entranced in this in their own mental health state like how do you think about other people when you don't feel good about yourself um but the other thing is that when me and emma have talked about um and talked to the families of the the people who have passed um it's oftentimes they also have to start to go to therapy because it's affected their mental health as well oh yeah it's um I've never really been one for anti-anxiety medications, but with my granddaughter being gone these past few weeks, yeah, I've, I've had to use them a few days. Yeah. I can understand. For sure. Yeah. I... I still like, I, I still can remember exactly where I was and what I was doing when I found out my uncle took his own life. It, 
And I mean, it changed the entire family dynamic. I talked about it a little bit with our previous guest, Jamie, and it it's earth shattering, not just for the person, but for everyone involved. It's like the most massive of earthquakes you could ever endure. I like, I feel like I, I was numb for almost a year. Like after it happened, I could not even bring myself to wrap my head around it. It was almost like my brain just told me that, oh, he's still here. He's still with us. It's like, I could not accept reality for a good year. And I mean, I was also grieving the loss of my father at the same time, which is like a double whammy. But yeah, I, it, it, like I said, it's like an earthquake. It affects everyone around them. And that I do want to say that to our listeners. If anyone is listening out there and you are struggling with suicidal ideation, I I urge you, if it's your cat, your dog, you know, it could be anyone. And and obviously think about yourself, but find something to ground you um, is my biggest advice. And on top of that, the number, engrave it into your mind, 988 the suicide hotline. That number is 988. Remember, 988. Oh, and if I haven't told you the suicide hotline number, it's 988. Thank you for, for sharing that, Colin, because I think it's also important. Um, but you, you talked about your granddaughter, and I kind of wanted you to share with us some stories about her because we like to humanize <laughs> one um because i want people to know like because mental health is so stigmatized you even talked about it, you're like i don't like to be called the prozac pilot even now um but i want people to know that it's normal people normal everyday people that suffer with mental health struggles and most of us at some point in our life will struggle so i want people to know um about your granddaughter evangelina and, and kind of who she was oh She's amazing. Um, I'm going to tell, there's some prelude to it here. Uh, her mother is a group, uh, she had three sisters uh, from my first marriage. Back then, I was not a very good person. I drank and I ran around, stuff like that. And their mother and I divorced when she was pregnant with uh, my fourth daughter, who I really had no association with throughout her entire life. When the divorce was final, she remarried a gentleman who was retired military and asked if he could adopt them so that they could have his... Uh, his benefits, insurance benefits and all that from, you know, from the military. And I thought, you know, that's more than I can afford to pay in child support. So I thought, yeah, it's good for the girls. Let's do it. And, you know, I was thinking I could still see my daughters, but once I signed those papers, I had no parental rights whatsoever. So of course, these young girls at the time thought that thought that I, you know, you know, had that feeling of abandonment, which, you know, they had every right to feel. And that's how they grew up is, you know, that I abandoned them. And um, 
back around 2005, my second oldest daughter looked me up. And we had, we had a relationship for a few months and then, you know, pressure from the family, you know, and, you know, they're all saying, why are you talking with him or, you know, whatever was said, I got to be too much for her. So she, she bowed out and then later on, we tried it again, you know, and same thing. And then, um, I met my, my beautiful wife, Jean Marie, and got another message from, from my daughter. And my wife says, oh, you should do it. I said, oh, no, I was just going to, just going to happen again. This went on, this conversation went on for a while. And finally I did. I says, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. And relationship lasted longer this time. And then it, it fell apart again. Then in 2017, my, my wife asked me, says, what are you going to do if she calls again or sends you an email? I says, no, I, I just don't want to go through all that. And Jean Marie says, well, I understand. The next morning, I'm saying my prayers. And it's just like you're hearing my voice now. Pray for your children. I said, what children? They don't want anything to do with me. I don't have children. Pray for your children. And I argued with God for a good five minutes. Then finally, I says, okay, I'll pray for my children. And I can't remember what I said in the prayer, but I did. Then um, my next trip, I just, day one was Detroit. That was all. Then next day, worked a flight back into Houston, Texas. I'm walking up the jet bridge when my phone rings. It's a number I don't recognize. And it was my daughter. Uh, her ex-husband had just been killed in an automobile accident. Mm. My grandson, who I never met, seven-year-old boy, had been cut all the way up his front, bones broken, in a coma, in the hospital. They didn't know if he was going to recover or not. And her, my daughter's sisters or mother were not able to come out there to be with her. And she said she just needed somebody to be there. And I told her, I says, I'm on the next flight. And I didn't list for a jump seat. I didn't do standby. I bought a seat. And ever since then, that relationship has grown because I was out there. I was, I was there for, for them in that time of need. And at the time, my granddaughter, I think was 11. And not once did this little girl ask me, Grandpa, where have you been? Grandpa, why didn't you how why haven't you ever talked to mommy or anything like that? She just loved me. And accepted me and wanted to be 
a part of my life. When she was 12 years old, we took her to Hawaii and had such fun. You know, she'd always have this big smile on her face. And the other day I, I made, you know, not my profile picture, but what's the picture on Facebook that's in the background up at the top? Your covers. Yeah, the, the, the cover picture. Yeah. I made it uh, a picture of her when she was swimming with the dolphins in Hawaii. And she had this big smile on her face, you know, just, just like the one you see on my picture on the screen right now. Yeah. And um, Emma, you've pro probably heard of Donnie Gay, haven't you? Mm -mm, not familiar. Donnie mm. Gay, eight-time world's champion bull rider. He commentates Ooh. during the national finals rodeo. I feel like I know who you're talking about. It's starting to ring a bell. Yeah, and Donnie's like, you know, it's when he's, um, when he's the commentator for the bull ride in the national finals rodeo, says, yeah, we got a good round of bulls out here tonight. I expect you're going to ride about six of them. And, <laughs> and uh, but Donnie, you know, eight-time world champion bull rider, he put a comment on this picture, and he'd never met my granddaughter, but he just says, I'd recognize that smile anywhere. <laughs> uh, she just always smiling always so happy always just uh, loving just accepting friendly you know she she'd moved uh, i think two or three times and she'd call me and she's afraid but I don't know anybody there. And I'd say, well, you're going to make friends. I said, I'll bet you within the first week, you're going to have at least 10 friends. I says, really? You think so, Grandpa? I says, yeah. You know why? She says, why? Cause, because you're you. <laughs> She'd just giggle. And guess what? By the end of the first week, she had more than 10 friends. <laughs> <laughs> and just, Other than my wife, she was one of my best friends. And my, by the way, my grandson is doing beautifully. Survived it. It took him, you know, he was in recovery for a while, but he survived it and he's just doing fantastic. And he is a, he is a, I call him my grand buddy. <laughs> so when I got the news, about what happened. I couldn't believe it. I thought she'd be the last person to even think of something like that. Yeah, she's, she loved life. Or so I thought. The only thing I could think, I always told her, I says, you ever need to talk to somebody, you call me. And I've got voicemails that I'll never let go. I've heard calling saying, Grandpa, this is what's going on. Can you call back? <laughs> And all I could think is, why didn't she call me? Why didn't she call me? Do you think there was something going on? Like, did was there something going on in her school life? Or do we, do we know what got her no. to this point? No. You know, we'll probably never know. Yeah. There was some good that came out of it. The reason I told you that whole story about the sibling group 
was uh, her funeral was on a Saturday and the cemetery where she was interred was was you know about an hour drive away so you know that was going to be too much to do all of it in one day so her internment was the following day and the next morning before we're getting ready to leave i get a text message from my oldest daughter saying that one of her daughters would like to meet me and uh and my daughter was saying but you know this happens you're all in this is a lifetime commitment you get that and i said i understand i know yeah and so we met my uh my daughter introduced me to this granddaughter and the first words out of it, she's 16, she looks like she's 12. The first words out of this sweet young lady's mouth to me was, are you a good man now? And I just, my heart melted and it felt so good to be able to look her in the eye and honestly say, yes, I am. And now she texts me every day. <laughs> we text about everything. I mean, about everything <laughs> it's it's uh we had an interesting text last night as a matter of fact it says uh, have you ever apologized to my mom <laughs> oh my god <laughs> she sounds savage uh, I love oh, not it. savage she she she's she just she's honest and she's eager and she's fun and she's funny and just without you know, it goes without ever taking it too far yeah and and then that day at the cemetery my wife looked at me and she says honey do you realize that today is father's day and all of your daughters are here wow that's powerful yeah so good you know Joy can come from tragedy, but it's the event that make that brings something new makes it a little bit easier because I'm texting with this this other granddaughter of mine and my wife. Between that, it's kept me sane. Also, at the cemetery, another one of my daughters came up with this cute as a button little guy he's four or five years old says i'd like to introduce you to my son i'm like wow and i go back to that prayer from a few years ago pray for your children and that prayer is working it's kind of come full circle you know, and I really do um, resonate with like, out of tragedy, there can be like a silver lining, but it's very hard to see. But oh, yeah. uh, definitely, with your story, it's really just like, you Evangelina has really brought your whole family back together. Yeah, it's, it's, it's still in the making. There's, there's still some, there's still work to do. Yeah, there's still a lot of work to do. You might so 
that it's time, patience, love. And life goes on. Yeah, I always say it's like losing somebody, you know, I don't really love all the depictions of grief um that are super mainstream like oh it's like a you know five-step process and then you're healed I've always kind of looked at it and it's been five years since I lost my dad and one thing that I've taken from the experience is I can never fill the hole in my heart that his passing has left me with but what I can do is learn how to make flowers grow put some soil down water some seeds and make something grow out of it. I mean, the, the podcast is a perfect example of that. You know, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I've seen it touch other people's lives. I've seen other people resonate with our message. And for me, that has been extremely powerful because I just wish that, and now I'm starting to get emotional. Damn it. (laughs) Um, I just wish that, you know, this would have been something that existed when my uncle was alive were that I could have had these conversations with my uncle um, and my dad. And these were conversations that I always had with my dad, but going back to my point, it's just, it's, it's about realizing and accepting that, that, that loss will always be that loss. That hole is always going to be there, but what you make of it, what you do with it is what matters. Right. Yeah. In 2015, Uh, I have another daughter that was from before I got married back in my young days before I changed my life around, you know, that's, um, you know, raised by her single mom. And, but, uh, January 29th, 2015, she died of cancer. And I can't remember why I'm bringing this up now for crying out loud. Oh, don't you love that? Oh, yeah, yeah, just, yeah just, just an old man here. <laughs> there was a reason for it, though. But... <laughs> Emma was talking about planting flowers with the hole that hasn't been filled. <laughs> Anything about that? Oh, I got nothing. I got nothing here. <laughs> Well, this is like a reminding people of what they might be talking about, but not today. Yeah, but (laughs) this uh, is kind of a good segue to start our fun questions. If you want to do that, I'm I'm giggly now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, there. Oh, there was something else that I I wanted to share, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. I do um have you also share about like your your website calling before we get into fun questions and then the wall of remembrance because i think that's such a like, right. heartfelt idea right. that you have and yeah. there are yeah, listeners that... love to share their stories with you so yeah yeah so it's uh stop suicide dot life and stop teen suicide dot life is not up yet but it will be soon so it's not fully developed the website isn't right now it's mainly uh, about my granddaughter and the wall of remembrance is doesn't have anyone on it yet but it it that's going to go there i also want to have a page with links to help aids 
different things like that on it. Talks about 988. It's the, remember that number 988? 988. What was that? Oh, yeah, 988. But throughout my entire life, you put me behind a microphone, I'm at home. When I announced rodeos, you know, I, I'd be in front of crowds, a couple thousand people, and I can't wait to fire up that microphone. Most people hate public speaking. I eat it up. I, I give in motivational talks, and I love it. It's just, I don't know. I love it more than I did flying or riding bulls, even. You like an audience, I feel like. I don't, I feel like I'm giving a part of myself to people and, you know, bringing smiles, laughs, whatever it is, or helping in talking about something that can improve their lives. I just like being there to share things that can do something for someone else. And um, throughout my life, I've wondered why I've been saved. There's been several times in my life that I swear the hand of God has saved me. When I was a child, I'm caught up in this whirlpool thing at a lake, and I'm kicking and screaming and trying to get out, and I'm about ready to drown when a hand reaches down and grabs me and pulls me out. And I don't know what, what the person said to me, but I ran over to my parents and told them what happened they says oh there's nothing like that around here that didn't help stop telling lies and i went over to the next camp where this guy was where he, he went back to and nobody no no one knew who he was i could not find him anywhere another time i'm getting ready to cross the road uh we stopped to, to eat somewhere and i'm gonna cross the road and a buddy of mine grabbed me by the shirt and pulled me back and i could feel the rush of the air of the car zooming past me on this highway just recently i go into the emergency room i did i didn't really have chest pains just a little kind of a little yeah bothersome feeling there but i told my wife i have chest pains you need to take me to the er and there was nothing wrong with my heart but my blood sugar level was 800 the doctor said there was no way I should have been able to walk in there underneath my own power that, you know, if, if it was any higher, I'd have been dead. And so all these things that have, have saved me, I've been saved for throughout in this gift that I have. But when I got that phone call about my granddaughter, as soon as I stopped screaming, I thought, I know what I'm here to do. And that stop suicide. I know realistically I'm not going to stop suicide, but I sure hope I can make a dent in it. Airfare, healthy snacks on the go. Airfare curates and delivers healthy snacks to flight crew, travelers, and aviation businesses. They've sourced more than 50 snacks from small businesses across North America. Hundreds of pilots love these snacks because they are healthy, unique, and have a long shelf life. And they're perfect for keeping you feeling great on, in the flight deck. 
our listeners can get 50% off their first order of customizable snacks using our discount code pilots podcast at checkout. So go visit airfarepouch.com to check out all the snack options and learn more. Again, that's airfarepouch.com to use our code pilots podcast for 50% off your first order of truly healthy snacks. Um, I definitely think on that you do, you definitely have that gift of speaking and spreading a message and like Emma and I were telling you, you have great voice on the podcast. So <laughs> I think that you will do amazing things and just your story um, will change people's perception about suicide and then, and I believe help them as well. And I'm so glad that we were able to speak with you about that and that you were able to share about your granddaughter um, and kind of how that silver lining came out of that as well. Um, so thank you for doing that today. Yeah, my, my, my hope is to get in front of audiences, you know, like schools, colleges, uh, church groups, and, and talk to them about this predator. It's the page one of, of the website talks about this predator and how he's uh, a serial killer i mentioned in the this thing that i wrote and i I just i want to use this to get out there and i'd love i would love to get in to schools like und embry riddle places like that that have aviation you know i'm going to educate myself more on what you must and you cannot report i think that's going to be a big topic that's going to come up so I'm not sure that you have to, and a lot of people, well, here's a big misconception that I know a lot of people have. I said, well, I've thought about suicide on the medical. It never says, have you thought about it? It says, have you had a suicide attempt? Hmm. Well, that makes a big difference, I think. And I think it's the wording. It can be scary. Um, and if you have a overactive mind, um, then you can really think about like too much, like, well, what do they mean by this question? Um, and it's always hard cause you're like, I don't want to lie. I don't want to be caught in a lie, but if I say too much or say too little, what's going to happen. And that's why I say like a lot of pilots have the case of what ifs cause they want to be perfect. Um, and this is a very heavy thing to you know, do your whole medical history and everything. So um, I think it would be very important, like if you were able to go and speak on stages like at Embry-Riddle and UND or any aviation platform um, to help those younger pilots understand what they, what they can say and what they can disclose and that it's important um, to destigmatize this. So yeah, let, uh, let, me put it, let me put it to you like this with all this, with all the head things we've got going on in the industry i've been on national television i've been i've been on three or four different news shows and the world knows that i'm the one that did the prozac pilot blog the whole world well not the whole world but you know aviation knows the administration of the faa knows one of the top the top medical doctor of the faa uh was asked in an interview about me and so they know who i am when I got my medical back, I put 
yes, I have suffered from depression and I sent the letter in. And I've been out there, I've been on nationwide news and I've never been dug into. There's nothing about ever trying to dig into my history to find out about my fitness. And I have flown safely and I done everything the way it needs to be done. I did not lie. I did not cover anything up. I was, I put myself out there in front of the world and nobody was digging into my past. I think that's a very, a very important message. And I hope everyone was just listening because I deal with this so often like how can you have your platform the platform that you have and be a pilot like aren't you worried aren't you this aren't you that what what am i doing wrong you know what i mean yeah. spreading awareness uh creating change like sharing my message sharing my story that is not a crime no the same goes for signing the petition i have so many people oh i i i am afraid to sign the petition i understand your fears but again it is not illegal to sign a petition. Um, I understand, you know, and it's like, we, we talk about this all the time. We get why these people are so afraid, but I think it is extremely important to understand context. And if we all kind of like got together and stopped breeding that stigma and that feardom in each other, mm -hmm. I feel like that would help a lot um, when it comes to changing the stigma around mental health and aviation. Yeah. Then, then too, when I, when I was at the region, when I was flying for the airline, there was, there's been times, you know, that there's been something surrounding mental health and pilots that CNN will call me, Hey, can you talk about this? And I can't even remember what, which one it was, but my, uh, my chief pilot, right after this came out in the news, my chief pilot called me and he says, uh, have the news outlets contacted you? I says, yeah. He says, you going to talk to him? I says, well, I was going to call you to get your feedback on it. See if it was okay with you. He says, just don't mention the company's name. We're fine. good to know i mean and that's kind of like i said hope you all are listening i mean i'm yeah. not judging anyone obviously for being afraid because like me that is all maddie and i talk about um and you have every right to feel that way it's just it's important to understand that we also we contribute to the stigma by always being so afraid um that's why the podcast is important. Having these discussions openly is important. That's why I get mad when people ask me, you know, why aren't you afraid? Why aren't you this? Why aren't you that? And I'm like, because I know what I'm doing is the right thing. And there's nothing that I should be afraid of. Um, it's a human right. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, it just boils down to it's your human right um, to express yourself and to do whatever you want with your message. Yeah, it's, uh, there's, like, I just go back to what's more important, your health or that, or that aircraft you want to fly. Mm. And to me, it's always your health because it literally could be a matter of life and death. I hate to sound so gloom, but that's just a fact. Yeah. 
Well, I don't know. You're going to do fun stuff. What's the fun? Killed the fun stuff. I killed the fun stuff. It's always so hard. And we do these fun questions and it's always feels so inappropriate. I'm like, uh, but if we didn't, I feel like we would leave on such a somber note. I feel like we have to do the fun questions. Let's do Let's have some. Let's have some fun, sisters. Oh, yeah. Can you can you say it in your like best bull rider announcer voice? How would you say oh, it? Oh, okay. How, how did I? Here, here's how I kick off the bull riding. They're big, they're bad, and they're back in town. The bad boys of rodeo. They make their living by destroying bull riders, and they do it all for a bale of hay and a bag of feed. <laughs> ah, I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh, my goodness. Okay, okay. So, first question if you could do any job, what would you do and why? Any job. Any job. You don't have to train for it. You just can, a genie in a bottle could like just grant it to you. Whatever I love at the moment. If I love flying, that's what I'm going to do then. Right now, I love, I love voice acting. I've got an agent who's who's hoping to get me put in front of the camera too, but had somebody earlier in an interview, I says, I'm a voice actor says, Oh, but you're really not an actor though. Yeah. Voice, voice acting is ever much better. Acting is as people in front of the camera. You truly have to act to do what I do. And I love what I do. I do what I love and I love what I do. I do what I love. And I, I anyway. Yes. <laughs> I, I do. What about you, Maddie? I was thinking about this so hard Um, and you know it's so difficult but I was like I would be like an angel investor you know someone who just invests in other people's ideas that aren't like that don't usually get seen because I love like thinking of ideas all the time and I'm like gosh I wish I could like if I had the money to act on all of my million dollar ideas that I have I would do it so why not be like the investor who does that for other people I think that'd be such a fun job okay I'll I'll go now (laughs) yeah um so I was gonna say bush pilot but then I was thinking about it and I was like really think hard Emma like what would be the dream and I'm gonna say it Red Bull, heli stuff, like dropping people off on like on mountains. You know what I mean? Getting into like the, <laughs> I don't know. You know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen Art of Flight. That's one of my favorite documentaries slash series, whatever you want to call it. But uh-huh. I actually, no, see, I take it back. I would want to be like a professional skier, <laughs> like in the X Games, but also a helicopter pilot for Red Bull, but also a skier for Red Bull. Um, but yeah, it would have to be something along those lines, like them dropping those people off the way that they do. And then like the shots of them getting so vertical is nuts. I mean, there's something about that. If that doesn't give you the tingles, I don't know what will. Okay. So, so what, I, what I'm hearing from you, full-time adrenaline junkie, part-time buckle bunny. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
I honestly, I'm thinking about it now. I'm like, man, if I had balls of steel, um, I would, I would love to ride bulls. I mean, I did, but I did too much bucking Bronco in my early days. I used to break horses and I have been tossed and turned and thrown onto the ground like none other. And my body just cannot handle it anymore. Oh, I, I got, I got to tell you another Donnie Gay story. It's fun. Shoot. First, first, when I first started going to professional rodeos, I'm on this little bull that just jumps out, two jumps, turn back into my hands, spinning and kicking to the left really good. And I make a good ride on him and right at the whistle when the whistle blows and I'm getting ready to get off, he whips me down on his head. And this before, you know, the helmets, the vests and all that stuff. And I'm on the ground and Donnie comes running up to me and grabs my hand and helps me up. He looks me in the face and he goes, dang, I thought we was going to see blood. (laughs) (laughs) You bugger. You should have given him more of a show, damn it. I know it. (laughs) I disappointed even then. I know. Last time I got thrown, I was riding big 17 hand mare and she just decided to go full out. I mean, like toes tucked and everything. And she got me good. And I was in a dressage saddle. So I had the back of the saddles coming up and hit me in the butt and like throwing me forward. Eventually I'm like, you know what? I'm bailing. I bail and I'm on the ground and I'm like, you know, got the wind knocked out of me like, (sighs) can't breathe and i'm crawling right i'm trying to crawl out of the side of the arena and this b-i-t-c-h turns back around and just comes full send right at me and i i I saw my life flash before my eyes my boyfriend was like damn (laughs) i tried to imagine a world where that where that horse came back and trampled you and jesus christ like geez louise it's always the what ifs that'll get you (laughs) yeah been there Uh, (laughs) so what is your worst hotel experience like either on an overnight or on vacation (laughs) worst hotel experience i can tell you right now (laughs) des moines iowa Hmm. ramada inn Ooh. yeah we had all you had to say is ramada (laughs) Yeah, I know. We had a longer overnight there. You know, we got in I don't know, early in the afternoon, something like that, and didn't have to report till like seven or so the next morning. So it was a longer overnight. And I laid down on the bed, was out for maybe about a half hour, and I woke up and my arm was chewed to pieces by bed bugs oh yeah i even got one of them in a cup and i went down to the front desk and told them about it and uh maintenance guy looked at the cups and says, oh you can't tell that's a bed bug oh my god yeah and so i called uh i called crew scheduling i says or dispatch whoever it was and I says, you, you guys got to put me into the hotel. <laughs> I sent them pictures. As soon as I got back in uh, to base, I got a, I received an email if I wanted to fill out for uh, workers' comp. 
<laughs> and I was so tired. I was just so flat out tired because I, I didn't get to sleep at all, all that night because I just scratched. And even when I was at the different hotel, I just, it just, it, I had a, an allergic reaction to it. And I mean, these welts were huge. So I got back into base and I, I called and I says, well, I'm going to call in. I was like, I, 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 uh, what am I saying? Uh, yeah, I call in fatigued. Says, okay, so we'll show you reporting tomorrow. At no, 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 you don't understand. I can't. I can't. I've got to go get my arm. My arm looked at. These welts are huge. They says, well, if you're going in fatigue, you only got ten hours, so we can use you after that. I says, okay, I'm calling in sick then. <laughs> okay <laughs> and i caught the first flight home and went right to urgent care wow yeah i would have fumigated you when you got home i would have like <laughs> had the plastic bags out like no don't even bring that bag in here sweetie uh oh no way <laughs> there's these little things you can get that you can put the back your bags in when you get home but it heats them up and it that's that's what kills bed bugs is heat heat uh -huh. interesting i might buy that for you and um jess maddie <laughs> yeah i need that my dad always used to panic about that like i mean seriously we um i mean he he'd get out of the car and he had a plastic bag like just ready to put his boots to put everything in um and i mean there was like a whole quarantine zone for his items he was like so freaked out by I don't even really think it was bed bugs. I think it was just the, like, what he saw going down in the airport. He always used to tell me the story about a guy rolling a trash bin and it just oozing juice everywhere. And the lack of concern really disturbed him. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Been there, done that. But what about you, Maddie? Worst hotel experience? I know, I was, like, trying to rack my brain because I've never had any, like, bug bite experience um but I think like the worst thing that's happened to me in a hotel was actually back before I was even going on layovers with my husband or anything this is back when I went to Mexico with my family for break and um it wasn't the hotel's fault really but we were in Mexico this is uh my senior year so it's my senior year spring break and I'm with my friends so my mom got us our own hotel room she was in the same hotel room and when we came back that night we must have not closed like our door all the way and we're all sleeping there's four of us in the room and we wake up my friend sorry she's like shaking me she's like hey someone is in our room and I was like what I was like it's probably my brother because of twin brother um she's like no Ryan's like right there and I was like oh my god and you just see like a shadow of a person standing over our bed and I was like oh my god you turn the light <laughs> and we all look at him and I think he was like just so drunk he thought he was in his room and he wasn't obviously we're like get the f out of our room you know like and he just like he was shocked like he had no clue what was going on and he ran out and my brother's like you want me to beat his ass I'll beat his ass and I was like oh my god don't do that 
but um it was definitely like in the moment like seeing someone over your bed you know it's like not someone you know in a hotel room is very alarming and scary especially as a girl so that was probably like the worst experience and now I'm like whenever I close I make sure I close the door I put all the locks on latches all that stuff because of that whole experience but yeah not really had like a terrible (laughs) experience from the hotel just me not being you know safe was the was the issue oh it was still at a hotel (laughs) yeah it still was at a hotel for sure um but yeah what about you Emma have you had any like crazy hotel experience um I I like I had to rack my brain too but honestly the most recent one that can come to mind and I'm not gonna say the place because like one half of me is like okay it's not the hotel's fault like I have to give them the benefit of the doubt of like what the situational environment is but um I was in Ocracoke not too long ago and the place that we stayed was riddled with roaches and if you know anything about me I could I mean I don't like snakes like I hate snakes there's just one thing I don't do and it's a roach I cannot stand roaches I hate them I don't know why just everything inside me detest and I mean it was so bad like what really sent me was I'm laying in bed it's about midnight and I'm scrolling through TikTok and just out of the corner of my eye, I see like this movement, you know what I mean? Just like a back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I'm like, what the hell? And I turn my phone, shine the light and right above me on the headboard is the biggest roach I think I have ever seen in my entire life. Just wagging its freaking antennas at me like a dog like a dog and they were everywhere it was disgusting i'm in the shower they're coming out of the drain i'm on the toilet one staring at me on the side of the tub i mean just absolute fucking sorry excuse my french but horror like i'm sorry i'm getting i'm getting worked up just talking about it now it's just it wasn't that long ago and like you know, y'all seen those videos of like people like having to pull roaches out of their ears and stuff like that. Like that is terrifying. (laughs) Hands down. You win, Emma. Yeah. (laughs) No, Uh, I I don't want to have to win this trend, but yeah, it was a pretty awful experience. (laughs) (laughs) Okie dokie. So yeah, we got to move on because I'm getting like the chilly willies and starting to get really paranoid. Um, <laughs> So they say the older you get, the wiser you get. Is there a life lesson or secret you would like to bestow on us? Well, I think one of the biggest ones really is we've already already talked about. What you do is not your identity. It's simply what you do. I rode bulls. Yeah. I identified myself as a bull rider, but really it was just something I did. Pilot was something I did because there's more important things in life than the things that you do. Your family, for example. And, you know, I'm a religious man, so my God, my heavenly father and, and Jesus Christ, though, you know, I, I'm a son of God. I'm, 
a husband to my wife, Jean Marie. I'm a grandfather to these children, a father to these to my to my daughters. You know, I'm just that's what makes up a person is who they really are inside. And it takes time to realize that. It's something that I guess you you, you have to grow into it and start to look at yourself differently to truly understand that who you are is what's inside your integrity your how you treat other people and your love for those around you and how how you treat your community but as far as being a pilot that's just something you do something you love and something you do yeah, I, I like what you said about integrity, integrity over everything, all day, every day. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's important. You know, if you're not up front with people, who's going to trust you? Yeah. And if you what lie about, about some things, you, you can truly get in trouble. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> we divulge into that today quite a bit, but I know I'm like, everyone's going to walk out and I'm like saying, don't be scared. Don't be scared. But we're also telling you that you could get in some serious trouble. <laughs> yeah, They might take you and lock you up, take you away. Oh no. That's only if you but lie. If you, lie if you lie and you get caught, if there's just the smallest incident, you know, I, you take the wrong taxiway and the FAA thinks, you know, Hey, this guy really didn't know what he's doing. There's no reason he should have taken that wrong taxiway and crossed the whole short line. Let's dig into his past. And if you've lied, it doesn't have to be about mental health. If you lied about anything on there, you know, like the number of hours you truly had, whatever, that is a federal document that you're signing. And if there's a lie on there, that's a whole lot worse. Yeah. But that's why we have the ASAP program. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't protect you from intentional stuff. I know. <laughs> I was just thinking, they pass the wrong taxiway. They just file their ASAP. They'll be okay. Yeah. I've, I've filled out some ASAPs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I but, guess my yeah. would be in my 33 years of life, which I felt like I learned this very young. Um, and it's definitely like from trauma and just losing a lot of people that I love is that time is way more important than money. Um, and I guess what I mean, like, is would you rather work uh, and not spend time with your family or spend that time with your family? Um, and I would always choose like that quality of time with family is so much more important than chasing money. True. Facts. Facts. Because you well, can always get money, but you can never get more time. For real. Yep. Preach it. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Me, I honestly, I feel like... <sighs> I'm trying to think, you know, my wise words. I feel like I've said this before, but one of the things that I have learned in my 23 years of life is that you truly never, ever, ever know what someone is going through. And to give you an example of this, 
I learned this lesson really early on and it, this experience kind of changed my entire, I feel like it did change my entire life. When a week after my dad died, my mom took us to the beach just cause we needed to get out, do something fun. And we were at the beach and we were at kind of a popular area near one of the piers where kind of like the youth like to hang out. And I do not claim to be a skimboardist or like a export skimmer, which is like very popular in the Outer Banks. But sometimes when the tide comes up, there will be like standing water left up on the beaches and it's like flat and still and super fun to like slide over on a skimboard. So I was doing this with my brother and sister and some degenerate little asshole, sorry, excuse my French again, but he learned his lesson too. This probably changed his life. Um, got up, came over to me and just made like a really, really snide remark about, Hey, don't you know, you're supposed to skim over there pointing to the ocean. Like, what do you think you're doing? You look like a total kook. And I, I immediately, I think I just started crying like on site. I just complete tears and like ran off the beach up to our hotel room and my mama waltzed her butt over there and said, shame on you. Do you have any clue why we're here today? Do you have any clue what we've been through? She goes, one week ago, I lost my husband. They just lost their father. This boy waltzed his ass up to the hotel room, knocked on the door and was like basically on his knees apologizing to me. And that's just one of those things like that really stuck with me. You know what I mean? You really, truly never know what someone is going through. And yeah, it might seem fun and cool, or you might not think twice about what you say, but I strongly urge you to, because again, you just literally never know what somebody is dealing with. Very true. Oh, and I remembered why I brought uh, the death of my daughter up is um, we knew we were going to lose her. And I called a friend of mine who'd lost his son that was about the same age as, as my daughter. And I said, I just said to him, Johnny, how do you get through this, man? And he says, that's just it. You get through it, but you never get over it. Yep. Amen. Well, Colin, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a awesome discussion and I just feel grateful to have this opportunity to talk to you. Oh, I enjoyed it so much. You guys are great. Thank you. Thank you. You ever want me back? Just let me know. Yeah. And go ahead and um, just like I call it plugging, like plug all your socials, anything you want our listeners to look up um, or anything about you that you just want to end on. Okay. Okie dokie. Uh, I think I've said everything as far as what to end on is 988. Yeah. Thank you, uh -huh. Colin. Thank you. Appreciate you guys so much.